Section 16 of The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government, Volume 1A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean Stipsky. The Rise and Fall of the Confederate Government by Jefferson Davis, Volume 1A, Part 2, Chapter 6. The Preamble to the Constitution, Subject Continued, Growth of the Federal Government and Accretions of Power, Revival of Old Errors, Mistakes and Misstatements, Webster, Story, and Everett, Who Ordained and Established the Constitution? In the progressive growth of the government of the United States in power, splendor, patronage, and consideration abroad, men have been led to exalt the place of the government above that of the states which created it. Those who would understand the true principles of the Constitution cannot afford to lose sight of the essential plurality of idea invariably implied in the term United States, wherever it is used in that instrument. No such unit of the United States is ever mentioned therein. We read that no title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of Congress, accept, etc. The President shall not receive within that period any other emolument from the United States or any of them. The laws of the United States and treaties made or which shall be made under their authority, etc. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies. The federal character of the Union is expressed by this very phraseology, which recognizes the distinct integrity of its members, not as fractional parts of one great unit, but as component units of an association. So clear was this to contemporaries that it needed only to be pointed out to satisfy their scruples. We have seen how effectual was the answer of Mr. Madison to the objections raised by Patrick Henry. Mr. Tench Cokes of Pennsylvania, one of the ablest political writers of his generation, in answering a similar objection, said, If the Federal Convention had meant to exclude the idea of union, that is, of several and separate sovereignties joining in a confederacy, they would have said, We the people of America, for union necessarily involves the idea of component states, which complete consolidation excludes. More than forty years afterward, when the gradual accretions to the power, prestige, and influence of the central government had grown to such extent as to begin to hide from view the purposes for which it was founded, those very objections, which in the beginning had been answered, abandoned, and thrown aside, were brought to light again, and presented to the country as expositions of the true meaning of the Constitution. Mr. Webster, one of the first to revive some of those early misconceptions so long ago refuted as to be almost forgotten, and to breathe into them such renewed vitality as his commanding genius could impart, in the course of his well-known debate in the Senate with Mr. Hayne in 1830 said, It cannot be shown that the Constitution is a compact between state governments. The Constitution itself, in the very front, refutes that proposition. It declares that it is ordained and established by the people of the United States. So far from saying that it is established by the governments of the several states, it does not even say that it is established by the people of the several states, 
but it pronounces that it is established by the people of the United States in the aggregate. Judge Story, about the same time, began to advance the same theory, but more guardedly and with less rashness of statement. It was not until thirty years after that it had attained its full development in the enunciations of sectionists rather than statesmen. Two such may suffice as specimens. Mr. Everett, in his address delivered on the 4th of July, 1861, and already referred to, says of the Constitution, That instrument does not purport to be a compact, but a constitution of government. It appears in its first sentence not to have been entered into by the states, but to have been ordained and established by the people of the United States for themselves and their posterity. The states are not named in it. Nearly all the characteristic power of sovereignty are expressly granted to the general government and expressly prohibited to the states. Mr. Everett afterward repeats the assertion that the states are not named in it. But a yet more extraordinary statement of the one-people theory is found in a letter addressed to the London Times in the same year, 1861, on the causes of the Civil War, by Mr. John Lothrop Motley, afterward minister to the Court of St. James. In this letter, Mr. Motley says of the Constitution of the United States, It was not a compact. Who ever heard of a compact to which there were no parties? Or who ever heard of a compact made by a single party with himself? Yet the name of no state is mentioned in the whole document. The states themselves are only mentioned to receive commands or prohibitions, and the people of the United States is the single party by whom alone the instrument is executed. The Constitution was not drawn up by the states, it was not promulgated in the name of the states, it was not ratified by the states. The states never acceded to it, and possessed no power to secede from it. It was ordained and established over the states by a power superior to the states, by the people of the whole land in their aggregate capacity, etc. It would be very hard to condense a more amazing amount of audacious and reckless falsehood in the same space. In all Mr. Motley's array of bold assertions, there is not one single truth, unless it be perhaps that the Constitution was not drawn up by the states yet it was drawn up by their delegates, and it is of such material as this derived from writers whose reputation gives a semblance of authenticity to their statements that history is constructed and transmitted. One of the most remarkable, though perhaps the least important of these misstatements, is that which is also twice repeated by Mr. Everett, that the name of no state is mentioned in the whole document, or as he puts it, the states are not named in it. Very little careful examination would have sufficed to find, in the second section of the very first article of the Constitution, the names of every one of the thirteen then-existent states distinctly mentioned, with the number of representatives to which each would be entitled, in case of acceding to the Constitution, until a census of their population could be taken. The mention there made of the states by name is of no special significance, it has no bearing upon any question of principle, and the denial of it is purely gratuitous illustration of the recklessness of those from whom it proceeds, and the low estimate put on the intelligence of those addressed. It serves, however, to show how much credence is to be given to their authority as interpreters and expounders. The reason why the names of the ratifying states were not mentioned has already been given. It was simply because it was not known which states would ratify. 
but as regards mention of the several states each state any state particular states and the like the constitution is full of it i am informed by one who has taken the pains to examine carefully that document with reference to this very point that without including any mention of the united states or of foreign states and excluding also the amendments the constitution in its original draft makes mention of the states as states no less than seventy times and of these seventy times only three times in the way of prohibition of the exercise of power in fact it is full of statehood leave out all mention of the states i make no verbal point or quibble but mean the states in their separate several distinct capacity and what would remain would be of less account than the play of the prince of denmark with the part of hamlet omitted but leaving out of consideration for the moment all minor questions the vital and essential point of inquiry now is by what authority the constitution was ordained and established mr webster said it was done by the people of the united states in the aggregate mr everett repeats substantially the same thing and mr motley taking a step further says that it was ordained and established by a power superior to the states by the people of the whole land in their aggregate capacity the advocates of this mischievous dogma assume the existence of an unauthorized undefined power of a whole people or people of the whole land operating through the agency of the philadelphia convention to impose its decrees upon the states they forget in the first place that this convention was composed of delegates not of any one people but of distinct states and in the second place that their action had no force or validity whatever in the words of mr madison that it was of no more consequence than the paper on which it was written until approved and ratified by a sufficient number of states the meaning of the preamble we the people of the united states do ordain and establish this constitution is ascertained fixed and defined by the final article the ratification of the conventions of nine states shall be sufficient for the establishment of this constitution between the states so ratifying the same if it was already established what need was there of further establishment it was not ordained or established at all until ratified by the requisite number of states the announcement in the preamble of course had no reference to that expected ratification without which the preamble would have been as void as the body of the instrument the assertion that it was not ratified by the states is so plainly and positively contrary to the well-known fact so inconsistent with the language of the constitution itself that it is hard to imagine what was intended by it unless it was to take advantage of the presumed ignorance of the subject among the readers of an english journal to impose upon them a preposterous fiction it was state ratification alone the ratification of the people of each state independently of all other people that gave force vitality and validity to the constitution judge story referring to the fact that the voters assembled in the several states asks where else they could have assembled a pertinent question on our theory but the idea he evidently intended to convey was that the voting of the people by states was a mere matter of geographical necessity or local convenience just as the people of a state vote by counties the people of a county by towns beats or precincts and the people of a city by wards it is hardly necessary to say that in all organized republican communities majorities govern 
when we speak of the will of the people of a community we mean the will of a majority which when constitutionally expressed is binding on any minority of the same community if then we can conceive and admit for a moment the possibility that when the constitution was under consideration the people of the united states were politically one people a collective unit two deductions are clearly inevitable in the first place each geographical division of this great community would have been entitled to vote according to its relative population and in the second the expressed will of the legal majority would have been binding upon the whole a denial of the first proposition would be a denial of common justice and equal rights a denial of the second would be to destroy all government and establish mere anarchy now neither of these principles was practiced or proposed or even imagined in the case of the action of the people of the united states if they were one political community upon the proposed constitution on the contrary seventy thousand people in the state of delaware had precisely the same weight one vote in its ratification as seven hundred thousand and more in virginia or four hundred thousand in pennsylvania would not this have been an intolerable grievance and wrong would no protest have been uttered against it if these had been fractional parts of one community of people again while the will of the consenting majority within any state was binding on the opposing minority in the same no majority or majorities of states or people had any control whatever upon the people of another state the constitution was established not over the states as asserted by motley but between the states and only between the states so ratifying the same little rhode island with her seventy thousand inhabitants was not a mere fractional part of the people of the whole land during the period for which she held aloof but was as free independent and unmolested as any sovereign power notwithstanding the majority of more than three millions of the whole people on the other side of the question before the ratification of the constitution when there was some excuse for an imperfect understanding or misconception of the terms proposed mr madison thus answered in advance the objections made on the ground of this misconception and demonstrated its fallacy he wrote that it will be a federal and not a national act as these terms are understood by objectors the act of the people as forming so many independent states not as forming one aggregate nation is obvious from this single consideration that it is to result neither from the decision of a majority of the people of the union nor from that of a majority of the states it must result from the unanimous assent of the several states that are parties to it differing no otherwise from their ordinary assent than in its being expressed not by the legislative authority but by that of the people themselves were the people regarded in this transaction as forming one nation the will of the majority of the whole people of the united states would bind the minority in the same manner as the majority in each state must bind the minority and the will of the majority must be determined either by a comparison of the individual votes or by considering the will of the majority of the states as evidence of the will of a majority of the people of the united states neither of these have been adopted each state in ratifying the constitution is considered as a sovereign body independent of all others and only to be bound by its own voluntary act 
it is a tedious task to have to expose the misstatements both of fact and of principle which have occupied so much attention but it is rendered necessary by the extent to which they have been imposed upon the acceptance of the public through reckless assertion and confident and incessant repetition i remember says mr webster to have heard chief justice marshall ask counsel who was insisting upon the authority of an act of legislation if he thought an act of legislation could create or destroy a fact or change the truth of history would it alter the fact said he if a legislature should solemnly enact that mr hume never wrote the history of england a legislature may alter the law continues mr webster but no power can reverse a fact hence if the convention of seventeen eighty seven had expressly declared that the constitution was to be ordained by the people of the united states in the aggregate or the people of america as one nation this would not have destroyed the fact that it was ratified by each state for itself and that each state was bound only by its own voluntary act bledsoe but the convention as we have seen said no such thing no such community as the people of the united states in the aggregate is known to it or ever acted on it it was ordained established and ratified by the people of the several states and no theories or assertions of a latter generation can change or conceal this fixed fact as it stands revealed in the light of contemporaneous records end of chapter six recording by sean stipsky kingman arizona